This is Brain Fuzz, the art, music and culture podcast with Joe Camusa and Matthew White. Today, Joe and Matthew meet up with photography curator Gregory Harris. The three discuss curatorial challenges and social documentary. They split hairs. Matthew gesticulates wildly. Gregory turns out to be a dog guy. And Joe mans the beer moat at today's special recording location, Second Self Brewery in Atlanta. This is episode 49. And it's, uh, we have, we actually have a beer moat. I don't know if you've ever uh, heard of one of those, but uh, it's, it's, I'm telling you, it's a nice setup they've got. I'm learning more about the different beers. They recently had their anniversary party and uh, just glad this happened. So first off, let me say thanks to Second Self. We have we, we are having guest, believe it or not. We are having a conversation with a new friend today and I heard you speak on social documentary photography. It was at a uh, show in Atlanta, uh Marshallwood Gallery, uh showing of uh, Chris Vereen's work. And it was it was interesting to me because it coincided with some questions on some other works that I had seen recently. And um before we get into all of that, um Gregory, can you share some about your background and you know how you got to where you are now? Sure. Because I love that question. Yeah. Tell us everything about you in two minutes. Only I only have two minutes. Well, this usually takes at least ten or fifteen. We can edit it. Don't worry. We'll edit it. <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm the associate curator of photography at the High Museum. I've been at the High for just over three years now. Um, Came to Atlanta from Chicago, but I originally grew up in western Massachusetts, in a little mill town in the Connecticut River Valley. But I um, went to Chicago to go to college, went to graduate school there, and spent about 14 years in Chicago, kind of bouncing around from various museums. I worked at the Art Institute for a little while, and then I spent six years at the DePaul University Art Museum. But I went to Chicago to study photography. I have a BFA in photography, and you know, had aspirations of being a globetrotting photojournalist when I was 18 years old and kind of lost interest in being a photographer while I was in the midst of this very intensive uh, studio program. And uh, around that same time, I met a curator who was working at the Art Institute, who was one of the one of the founders of the photography program there. And he just was one day just kind of chatting about what he did as a curator. So, that sounds like an amazing job. And you know, kind of yeah. had you know, this idea of like what a curator was, but I just I hadn't thought about it a whole that much. And it was like at this time where I was trying to like was grappling with, you know, what I wanted to do with myself. And it seemed like that was a great shift from, you know, being a maker to still working with art and working with artists, but applying those skills in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I was, I was, you know, as the, the program was going on, I was becoming less and less interested in the work that I was making and a lot more interested in the work that other people were making. And I seemed to have like a, a facility for kind of getting people to talk about their own work and you know, helping them articulate what they were doing. And then if you asked me about my own work, I was like, well, I, yeah. I take pictures and, yeah. you know, and it just, I don't know. I also think, I think I realized that like to be a really dedicated artist, you needed to be a certain kind of crazy to like focus on your work that much and just like be so um, intensely focused on making your work, spending time in the studio or like working on your project. And I didn't think that I that I had that. I like my attention was like too um, sporadic for things, and I was going to jump around. To Do you still thing. agree with that? 
that you have to be a certain kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, I like the like the artists that I work with, like the dedication that they have to their practice is just unbelievable and admirable. And basically, like every every six months, like I'm working on a new project, and that kind of fits my kind of you know the, like the fact that my interests like vary so much, and that I kind of like to have a few things going at the same time. Um, but I just, like see how how focused people are and committed and it's like it's it's so admirable and it's like I like I'm really committed to what I do yeah. but it's uh, it, you know it's a different kind of focus um, no pun intended of yeah. course but we, we, <laughs> so, so many we hear that a lot though we hear that there is that change where you think oh, that's not I can't I don't have that but I have this yeah and that's because the flip side of that also is is it Dedication, or is it like complete indulgence? You know, like almost to the point. Like some folks, you just think like take it, take it down a notch. You know, it'll be just fine. You know, versus that that all in. Um, but but if, but if you don't if you don't commit all in, I mean, it's like there's no one who's making you do this as an artist. There's no if you can't find the reward in doing it yourself, then you're kind of screwed. Oh so right, like the people, right. Like you, like it's it's Absolutely. all it's all yeah. or nothing. Yeah. And I was kind of like. I was on I was on the fence about going going all in on that, but I like I, I, I found I found something that allowed me to um, like fulfill my love of photography and and art, but work in a different way. Like I um, I really like collaborating with people on projects and and curating. Like you, you know, you never do anything alone. There's always other right. people involved. There's always other voices, yeah. and the dialogue around putting together an exhibition, um, even the compromises that you end up having to make for various reasons. I mean, it can be frustrating at times, but that process I find really rewarding. That interaction that you have with people, the things that you learn right. um, from other people. I mean, that is um, it's kind of it's just endlessly, you know, fascinating and rewarding for me. Like, there's always some some new thing that I have to suddenly become an expert on. Uh, relative to the the exhibition project or an acquisition that we're doing, something like that. So, well, that's that's a perfect lead into my first question for you. So much has changed in photography within the last, let's say, let's say, gosh, we could even say five years. Yeah. But digital film and then photo manipulation or collage, digital collage. Um, are these broken down? I'm just trying to understand the landscape better. Are these broken down in terms of what you do? Did these break out into sub-genres or subgroups? Not exactly. I mean, it's, it's, all, it's all photography. I mean, history of photography is yeah. kind of a, it's a, it's a blend of this technological evolution and progression, uh, but also uh, that's kind of interwoven with you know, an aesthetic um, evolution and dialogue you know, around... You know, ideas that are germane to any art form, and then there are other, there are other things that are specific to to photography that you know a painter or sculptor wouldn't necessarily touch on, or just kind of irrelevant to how they think about their work. But you know, if you look back at the 19th century, for example, it was like every three months someone had invented a new form of photography, That's right. and it was it was all photography. Yeah. But you know, it was there. It was it was another way of kind of you know fixing light, you know, recording that that image, you know, whether it was with a camera or without. Um, so you know. Digital photography is arguably just another step in that in that evolution. You know, for a long time in the 20th century, like it was, you know, there was 
black and white silver gelatin printing made on you know, celluloid film, and then color was introduced, but it was still on cell- there was like it was still you know a silver based process, and that lasted for such a long time that when digital photography came along, people were like, whoa, this is something totally different. We don't know how to make sense of this, and you know, but you see like photographers, a lot of photographers, I don't think necessarily have that kind of existential crisis around. Mm-hmm you know, the digital versus the analog divide. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this is great. Like, this is another tool that I have. Right. Like, there's so much more control that I have over, you know, over my medium. Um, you know, something that, that's, that's happening now is a lot of photographers who are working in color in the 70s and 80s, you know, when the, you know, the technology for, you know, making color prints was, was very limited. Uh, you didn't have a lot of control over the various tonalities, the color shifts, the contrast, things like that. Um, they're now revisiting their work, you know, th- th- now that they have access to digital means, and they're saying, like, finally, yeah. like, this picture looks the way I wanted it to look 30 years ago. You know, maybe it's, it's yeah. like, you know, it's a curator or a critic who has this hang-up on the back, like, well, that was the original expression of that image, and now you've totally bastardized it. It's not the same thing. It's a different kind of thing. They're like, if I could have done it then, I would have done it then. Now, like, this is what I really, this right. is what I really wanted. So, you know, it's, it's... You know, it's another it's another option that you have in your toolbox, um, and it I mean it, it does raise some kind of questions, you know, about I don't know truth and the fidelity of the image, like you mentioned, yeah. digital manipulation. But how much truth is there? That's one thing. That, like <laughs> as I was doing my research, yeah. and um, you know, there's still there's probably a lot of room for. You know, even with Deanne Arbus, I mean, like, are all of you know? Am I supposed to believe that every one of her photographs were these honest, candid? You know, I don't. I don't buy that for a second. Or no, not at all. Gary Winogrand. Or yeah, it's you know, it's it's again, it's another one of these ideas that's always been with photography. I mean, like it, it looks just or not just like, but it looks very similar to the way that your eye sees the world. And so there's this just kind of knee jerk reaction, like oh, like I trust that. When you know, you could have taken the picture, you know, a sixteenth of a second. Later, That's you, why you, could, you could you could it like three or four degrees, mm-hmm. move the, the, the lens three or four degrees, and you get a totally different image. So yeah, I mean like the idea of truth and photography is yeah. kind of um, you know bunk from from day one. Um, now you That's can true. just like you can intervene in a way that you know is you know not necessarily possible, but. I mean, kind of like one of the examples that's brought up all the time around this idea is you look back at pictures of um, Joseph Stalin's cabinet. I don't know if cabinet's the right word, but, you know, and, and you know, every time he, someone lost <laughs> favor with him, they just airbrushed yes. them out of the pictures. Fascinating to me. And they were, you know, they were doing that, you know, more years than ago. a century yeah. ago, 70, yeah. 70, 80 years ago. Um, you know, in the 19th century, spirit photography was a thing where you mm-hmm. presumably you could photograph you know, a ghost, you know, make something that wasn't visible to the human eye, was suddenly visible yeah. through photography. And, you know, so there's all these things that you kind of, you can, you can yeah. make up. No, it's, Death but, of a Loyalist Soldier, Robert Kappa. But it's, but it's like, it's also, it's also, it's, but, but it is, it is one of those, one of those things that really does set photography Amazing. apart because it has like such a, such a strong relationship to, you know, to the world, to the, like to the real world and as we, as we, you know, perceive it visually and that on some level, whether or not we know that that's you know a lot of bullshit, it's still something that you you end up contending with you know one way or another when you're making a photograph. It's like you know the relationship to the real world, um, and it's 
you know, it's it's <laughs> it's a discussion that I'm like I don't think we'll ever figure out, and we'll keep having for you know until people stop making pictures. I'm, you know, I'm starting to think that we just kind of we are living in one of those inflection Epics. point epic Ep- epic epic. Um, where there's that, if you like, it where is. there's that, was that tension in that shift? I'm just trying. I can't think about. I, I can't. There's even a lot think of glassware in here. I wouldn't be wildly gesticulating. No, no, I'm going to wildly gesticulate. But I, re- the first time I really was aware of the problem in that transition between those technologies was the. Um, I was listening to a gallerist uh, speak on a subject, and, and she was asked about about digital, and she had no use for it. I knew that going in. But the longer I listened, I realized that she simply did not understand the medium. Yeah, she didn't understand uh, how you version, how you edition, how you any of that. Um, and so that was coming from a place of kind of fear or um, yeah. ignorance rather than understanding. Now, if you reject it outright because you have some concerns um, that you've developed because you understand it, that's a different ballgame. But how much are you seeing now in that in that tension? Are you is it is it do you still sense some of that? Is it among the galleries or is it among museums? Is it what is it? I mean, I th- I think most of the artists that I deal with they just want to make the best the best picture or the best print, whatever the appropriate output or the that they see for their work. They just want it to be the best it can possibly be, and we've now reached a point where digital technology is either equaling or surpassing analog technology and so artists are are just embracing embracing that um when i was when i was in college and i was learning photography it was kind of right at the shift between um like digital was maybe not quite there in some aspects and so analog was still preferable and so i ended up learning both like i spent a ton of time in the dark room but i also spent a ton of time in you know in the digital lab and like even in front of a in front of a screen or next to an inkjet printer or something like that, um, it was kind of on either side of that. And a lot of people were going to be doing some kind of hybrid where they'd shoot film yeah. because you couldn't get a, you know good enough digital capture, and then they would print digitally because you had so much more control over yeah. the over the final print. And so, I think people are just kind of moving with with what the technology allows and allows them to better express their ideas and. Artists, I don't think, get so hung up on. Yeah, good. Like, like, like I think what the healthy ones. The healthy ones. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, it's it's sort of like, you know, saying like, you know, to a painter, like, well, you use that brush or that brush. Like, you know, you like you like a brush that's made of horsehair, yeah. or you prefer cow's hair. I mean, I don't even, I don't yeah, even know like right, how, I don't true. even know how to yeah. make the analogy. No, but, but the, like, the thought of someone so using large format or, camera, like, fine, you want to yeah. put that cape yeah, over yeah, you yeah. and or whatever it's. Probably properly called, I don't know, but but uh, you know, on the, on the same token, like the like the, the the tool you use does affect the kind of work that you make, and so there is like inherently a choice in that that results in a certain kind of of image. You know, you know, you may be able to make a forty by fifty inch print from a you know handheld digital camera, but you know, putting a camera up in front of your face and making a portrait is a totally different experience than having a large format camera on a tripod. You know, between you and the person, you're kind of like it just it changes the interaction, and yeah. so it results in a different kind of photograph, and that's a choice that that photographers make. Like even though they could switch to a digital camera, the the kind of picture that a certain camera allows them to make or changes the 
the interaction whatever it may be is you know it's still something that is is important to have right but you're saying which i agree in anything you know music any kind of the 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 work determines you know the tool that you you know that you need i was thinking um marilyn mentors work for whatever reason because um because you know photography film actually i believe is like the first step in her work right so going photorealist what is it photorealistic painting isn't that what she sure um, so that's the first but it's an iteration of a number of tools and that's just one of many of the tools which you know the digital environment allows you to have that kind of workflow I mean she doesn't get hung up on it let's face it she's yeah. got folks that are painting you know in enamel which yeah. she I, I've never forgotten this she says it takes her basically three years to train you know whoever's coming into her studio usually recent MFAs but three years to paint with that technique in enamel, which I believe, you know, if you, anybody's ever painted like a door or whatever, you know, you get one pass yeah. and don't change direction. And I mean, that's a fussy, but I love that there's this high, high, low, you know, multitude of, of mediums. I mean, that's what makes stuff interesting. I think, especially with, again, the sheer amount of images we're seeing, whether they're painted, drawn, photographed, I mean, what's going to separate it out? Yeah. I mean, there's gotta be some kind of alchemy, mad scientist uh, experimentation I think um, versus you know getting on their high horse it has to be only certain you know oil paint with a sable brush you know <laughs> no coffee you need to sever. <laughs> sounding very Catholic so so how has um, how has Instagram in, in your eyes how has Instagram and the proliferation of very powerful tools our mobile devices are beyond anything that people would have imagined 20 years ago, really, um, or that an artist would have imagined 20 years. A futurist would uh, have had no problem with it, but an artist 20 years ago would have had, had difficulty with it. But how has that um, changed how you determine or how you judge what we would consider good photography? I would like just point back to you know in like an earlier moment in the history of photography yeah. when when Kodak released you know the the Kodak one, which is like you know, the first commercially available point and shoot camera that you know, dem- democratized the medium to like a whole nother degree. Yes. You know, and their and their well known slogan was "You push the button, we do the rest," and it basically made everyone a photographer. And so, you know that was that was happening in the eighteen nineties. Now, you know it's it's just even it's even easier but it's so it's it, i think it's just a matter of degrees like you know that's true. maybe there were hundreds of millions of photographs being made then now there are you know billions of photographs being made know, every every day every week and so it just it, it you know there are there are more images but it, i think it also it makes photography that much more accessible to people um I think a lot of times people come in, they come into the museum, you know, like I, I give a lot of tours to, to classes or just, you know, people who are just you know, interested in the exhibition we have on, they want to know about it. And, and they try to like get you with this gotcha moment, it's like, you know, which is, it, it's an old problem for photography. You know, trying to like, like, how do you distinguish what's art and what isn't? Yeah. Um, or like, why is this a museum and that isn't? And, you know, we have all kinds of things that we say about that, but ultimately, like what I think is great about photography is that it, it is so accessible, and that everyone is a photographer. And you know, and when someone looks at a you know at a picture on the wall and says like I could do that, and it's like, but you didn't. Well, no. not even not even you didn't, but it's like great. 
go do it. <laughs> like, like, like that, like that's awesome. Like it's, it's a language that people on a very fundamental level, whether they under, whether they know it or not, or they're fully aware of it. It's a language that people understand, that people yeah. speak, that people are totally conversant in because they make, you know, prop, you know, maybe a hundred pictures a day. I mean, it depends how, yeah. you know, how jumpy you yeah. are with your, you know, with your iPhone and they look at, you know, maybe, you know, thousands of pictures every day. So people are, you know, um, they're just like intensely visually literate. And that just means like there's, there's more people who are kind of, you know, on board with photography and are interested in, you know, in what, in what we're doing. And so that, that it's just another point of access for, you know, for you know, you know, museum curators to kind of say, like to make it relatable to you. Just right. it just it brings the barriers down sure. in a way that I think is only productive. Um, I agree. I mean, I yeah. like I look at Instagram like const- like all the yeah. time constantly. Yeah. I look at I look at Instagram. You know, and some of it is just like you know I want to see what my friends are up to, just like everyone else wants to. Sometimes I you know like there's artists who I who I know or who I want to know, and I'm interested in like how their work mm-hmm. is evolving, kind of getting like a little sneak peek into of what what they're doing. But it's like it's a, I think it's a really it's a really helpful platform, you know, for, for you know for someone who's interested in images and let's face it, who's not yeah. interested in images, right. Right. you know, it's it's a, it's a it's a great tool. Um, so I, I mean, like, you know, sure, there's a whole lot of cheesy things that go on there, you know, like there's ads that get fed into, but you know, yeah, a lot of people would take umbrage with your your assertion that everyone is a photographer. I mean, I see how you could sling it either way. People that would not be happy with that. I'm a big tent kind of guy, so I mean, I, I think like you know, the more the more the merrier. Whether or not we're going to show those pictures at right. the Thai Museum, that's a totally different conversation. But yeah, that's true. You know, like yeah. that. That's a, it's a you know, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny slice. You know, it's a so you a small percentage of all those pictures. So you have a unique there. you you have a unique perspective when you're thumbing when you're swiping. No, when you're scrolling, scrolling. When you're scrolling through Instagram, what what is it that attracts your eye? Is it the composition? Is it the content? Is it the blend? What is it? It's it's all of it's all of those things. Yeah, I mean, and, and I should say, like, I'm not necessarily scouring Instagram every day, like, sure. thinking about like what what's like how is this gonna you know turn into my next show at the museum, but I like to, I like knowing what's yeah. But, but a cat picture can on. be compelling as well, right? I'm kind of a dog guy. Oh, so sorry. I, okay. <laughs> yeah, me too. Point taken. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 it's, it's all of those things, you know. Like, you know, the, I think the things that that catch my eye, you know, good kind of color harmony and interesting composition, just like some kind of unusual subject, you know, it's those are all, like the, those things are like they're exciting, they're interesting, and I'm just someone who like I, I love looking at pictures. And it's, you know, it's another way, it's another kind of convenient, accessible way for me to look at pictures and you know, stay on top of what's, of what's going on. And so much of that can be like a gateway drug to unknown territory, you know, whether it is the cat or dog picture or, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, I, I think what we're keep dancing around, and I'm pulling like two quotes here from uh, Chris Wiley article in Freeze, and this is ancient now, like 2011 feels like we might as well be talking about like Matthew Brady photographs from the Civil War or something, but <laughs> but this comes up though with artists, though, and like the possibility of making a photograph that can stake a claim to originality or effect 
has been radically called into question. And I'm thinking, by whom? You know, again, like it's easy to write about, and maybe that gives you a little, uh, uh, a good angle, but you know, again, like I think you were saying earlier, which is refreshing earlier in this conversation, which is refreshing for anyone that's doing anything creative, um, is just, again, leveling the field and saying it's, it's totally open. There's possibility instead of like, ah, oh, it's all been done before. His second point was, ironically, the moment of greatest photographic plentitude has pushed photography to the point of exhaustion. You know, in in this age of, you know, biennials and art auctions and, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, there's a lot out there. But, I mean, I think all of us kind of, you know, you probably have to, uh, I mean, do you have, like, downtime where you kind of have to, like, rest your eyes, so to speak? The corollary to me is, like, uh, especially people in music, like engineers and stuff that have to literally, it's only so many hours you can you literally have to just go... And then you get fatigued. Right. I mean, and then you, know. you can't see yeah. anything or like, you know, grad school where you're to the point where you're like, I can't see anything. I don't even understand what I'm... Mm-hmm. And you just keep gorging. Um, but... Yeah, I mean... I'll I, let I, you answer the I, question. I, I, as, as, <laughs> as, as hungry as I am to, you know, to always see more pictures, yeah, I mean, like, I get, I get tired, I get fatigued, um, I, you know... <laughs> in those moments, I, like I go for a walk, I play with my son, you know, I, I read a book that has absolutely nothing to do with art, yeah. just to kind of shift gears a little bit. And when you're on the walk, are you are you on are you tethered to the phone? Like, sometimes. Are you really? It amazes <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah. 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 Try, pushing I, the progeny with a phone in their hands. I'm like, it's just from. Well, that's that's the argument for the. What's yeah. that? The implant. Yeah, the implants. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know what you were. Oh, no, no, what no, no, you were mining? No, 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 that was no, like some no, kind of eugenics no. or um, <laughs> lobotomy. No, that's the argument. Sounds for that. like or the, or the you know. Oh, the Google Glass. But the the, the glass. He was the an glass, early adapter. The glass hole thing Adap- is over. Adapter. And adapter. Year. Oh. I'm still on my Commodore 64. Come on, <laughs> with my dial-up. Wouldn't that be great? That would probably it be an amazing cool. exhibition, mm-hmm. and people would love it. 64 was 64 kilobytes. Get your head around that. Some people's artist statements are bigger than that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That was so true. Oh, good times. Pretty good there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, are you a fan of the long statement? <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, but I, boy. But I, I do. I do appreciate a good artist statement. It it's, yeah, it it's does, it does help orient me a little bit. Sure. So tough to get that perfect one. You know, it's it's not attainable. No. Find out more about Second Self Brewery at secondselfbeer.com and always check out the Brain Fuzz show notes at brainfuzz.com for more on the topics discussed in this episode. Uh, so we've been dancing around this, uh, I think, again, this media construct of like the captured image versus the constructed. And I guess you're basically laying waste to that there really there is it's photography or it's art. I mean, there's, I mean, I think that there's there's a lot of different ways to make a picture and there are interesting and exciting things that come that come out of those those different approaches and I think it really just comes down to your execution your intent uh, I don't know that necessarily one is more or less valid than the other um, I'm I'm fairly omnivorous in terms of the kinds the kinds of pictures that I'm interested in so like actually like right now like I'm, I'm working on an exhibition that straddles this 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 conversation this I don't know this construct nice um, and it's so yeah the high has this 
this ongoing project where we commission artists to make new bodies of work in the South. So the only rule that we put on is like, you can do whatever you want as long as you do it in the South, which we basically define as the Mason-Dixon line South and then West to Texas. So there's a lot of geographical territory that's covered there. Um, the most recent artist to receive the commission is a guy named Alex Harris. He lives in, in Durham, North Carolina. And he founded an organization at Duke called the Center for Documentary Studies. So he, he's someone who is steeped in documentary practice, you know, about storytelling, kind of truthful, honest storytelling that's, you know, that where, you know, these, these ideas that we're talking about, you know, things being staged, right. you know, things being kind of fabricated, you know, for the camera, like, you know, the, you know, there, I think there's an awareness of that. There's awareness of the kind of the artifice of photography, but, you know, how do you, kind of how do you, you know, make photographs that are kind of more in the realm of narrative nonfiction rather than, you know, um, like a novel. But what are there, are there rules? I mean, to ask like the basic question to this, like, is there an accepted, like you don't stage or you, I think it, it all depends on where you're, where you're putting that picture up. If you're, if you're putting your picture in, you know, on the front page of the New York times, you don't stage it. You don't manipulate it. So photojournalism. Like, so yeah, photo there's, there's, there's a certain there's a, there's a there's an area where there are you know, journalistic ethics of you know honesty that that apply to those cases. In the context of an art museum, it's all it's all kind of fair game, and it depends on how we're we're positioning that work. So in, in the case of this project that Alex has been been doing, he's been shooting on independent film sets all over the South. So they're they're. They're narrative film sets. They're, it's not he's not working with, with documentary productions. You know, they're they're scripted, sometimes like slightly experimental, but they're narrative they're narrative films. And so he's kind of functioning as the set photographer. So he's taking pictures of, of what's going on. But these are separate projects. Just this isn't like a Gregory Crutzen. No, no, he's of... he's he, like he's like calling up a filmmaker and Got, saying okay. like, "Can I come and shoot?" While you're with while you're working, yeah, that's great. Uh, okay. He's like the kind of the onset photographer. So sometimes he's photographing what is going on in front of the the you know the, the film camera, right. with, like what's being you know created for the production, and you have no sense that he hasn't you know gone one hundred percent crudeson and created this elaborate scene specifically for him to take a picture of. And then sometimes it's pulling back a little bit. You can see the, you know, the margins of the production. You can see, you see the boom mic in there. You can see the camera. You can see the director. You can see the you know, kind of interactions of all of the, um, you know, the, the production crew around it. So you have this sense of like, oh, like he's, you know, he's looking at this thing that is you know, created you know, for the purpose of telling the story. And then other times, a lot of the productions he's shooting on are fairly low budget, so they just set up in some neighborhood. And it's very permeable between what's going on in the neighborhood and what's going on on set. And he'll shoot what's going on around there. So the, kind of the line between fact and fiction, between what's the story and what's real life, is very, very blurry. And, and, and Alex is just like, you know, in, you know, in photographer hog heaven here, because the lighting is amazing. Yeah. You know, the, like like there are all these things that are that are just like, you know, fascinating and mysterious. There's a whole lot of possibility for him to create these pictures, and he's and you know, as someone who's you know been working in the mode of documentary photography, you know, for 40 years, to finally be able to kind of, you know, loosen his grip a little bit on this this sense of, um, you know, having to like 
you constantly tell the truth and relate to reality. You know, he's like in you know in a you know in a in a world that is you know inherently fabricated, you know, and fictional, and yet there's an element of reality that's layered on top of it at the same time. And so, kind of where one begins and one ends, you know, you never really know. And that kind of confusion is something that he's like he gets really excited about because it, because it raises all these questions about it. Sure. About about the medium and kind of like what what are what are the ethics around around photography and you know in certain contexts you know when does it matter when doesn't it matter and you know and he's even gone to the point where he's in you know in Photoshop if, if there's like a light stand that messes up the picture he just takes it out sure why not a painter would <laughs> so so all photojournalism is documentary but not all documentary is photojournalism. I think the 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 line between documentary and photojournalism, it, like it's a, there is like there are nuances. So I, I I had a a professor in college. His name is Paul D'Amato. Um, someone who we'll be contacting him <laughs> to check my references. Yeah, <laughs> I'll let him know to expect your call. So so I I took a, I took a documentary photography class with him, and he he had this like great line that the difference between photojournalism and documentary photography was time. You know, photojournalism is about what's current, what's, what's happening now. It's about informing you about you know, current events and, what's, and like what is going on in the world at this moment. Whereas documentary is something that is like, it's much slower. It takes time to, you know, to evolve and to build. It's not necessarily newsworthy. You know, it's maybe something that like, it's important, it's vital. It, it, um, it tells you something about the world, about the people, you know, the people that are around you, you know, various kinds of, you know, societal ills or challenges or even, you know, or triumphs, but it's something that is, that isn't necessarily, it doesn't have to, it isn't connected to this particular moment, that it's something that kind of unfolds, builds over time. You know, and this is coming from someone who would work on a project for 15 years yeah. and you like had a hard time figuring out like, when is it over? Right. Because like he, like when when wow. am I done? When have I when have I got everything that I needed to say about it? Um, and you know he he would invest immense amounts of time in all of his projects and getting to know his subjects very very intimately. Get, you know if he, was, if he was working in a particular neighborhood, you know he he would become a fixture of that neighborhood. He didn't you know if he didn't live there, but like he, people like people knew him and they like they were kind of accustomed to him being around. He was you know you know for all intents and purposes he was a part of that that community. Um, but it was something that allowed him to, like that kind of investment of time allowed him to make a very, very different kind of picture than as someone who, you know, if you were to you know, just, you know, say, like the New York Times are writing a story about gun violence on the south side of Chicago, and they just send in their, their stringer for a couple days, like the pictures that they get are going to be, like they may be very dramatic, they may tell you something about what's happening there, but there's a certain kind of, of nuance that they're going to completely lack. Or they're not necessarily going to have the staying power that you're going to want to look at it ten years later, like if it's only connected to that, like one particular instant. It's a it's a very different kind, a different way of working. So, but you know, but you know, both documentary and photojournalism are premised on this idea about truth and kind of accurately depicting reality, such as right. it is, and that's a slippery slope. But. Um, Whereas you know someone who someone like Jeff Wall or Gregory Crutzen who fabricates everything for the camera, you know, even though it looks real, it has a very high degree of verisimilitude. Right. They made it all up. 
And well, even sometimes, like Jeff Wall, doesn't he? Like he does, he he doesn't make it up. But you never know the difference. Well, I'm going to go <laughs> way back and talk like Ouija. You know, like there is talk about straddling that line of whether it was staged or yeah. Uh, We've got to, uh, a lot to unpack here. Uh, let's hit the beer mill and uh, pick it back up here. So oh, you want to do that again? Yeah. I, I don't think I can take uh, ownership on that one. I'm going to let you push it. Meanwhile, Joe and Matthew attempt to lure Gregory into the dicey territory of criticism before turning to the topic of social documentary. I don't know if you want to be like doing like the... Uh, critics tennis here where we're, like, I threw names out and I was like what do you think of them oh their work is kind of minor like that's I don't think you probably no but you're, I do want to hear your thoughts on Bertensky again uh, <laughs> so, no, that's, so that's that's dicey territory for a curator to be is it, yeah, like skew into being a critic so. okay yeah, yeah yeah that's true um, I had just asked like just trying to get my footing in terms of like you know I'm happy to express an opinion but, <laughs> but not but not like I like it, I don't like it, or... No, that's fine. I just didn't want to put you in a weird spot, but I just was kind of curious, like, what I might think is document. Like, we were talking about this. Is it Robert Frank? Ed doesn't have um, my number, so he's not going to hunt me down. Um, I, w- I was thumbing through Contact High, a visual history of hip-hop, which, when I think of social documentary, you know, I tend, I tend to think of it in its strictest form, which, for me, uh, let's say Gordon Parks. And... Gordon Parks, of course, did the. Um, there's a there's a piece in uh, Contact High about that. But when when I'm reading this, the visual history of hip hop, I perceived a an evolution in the way that that hip hop was being covered, in that it tended to be social documentary in the beginning. But then the more the, as the photographs evolve in this in this collection, you know, it's more about you know big budget. Um, Shoots for you know the cover of your record, right? So you start with someone like Jamel Shabazz, and you end up with David LaChapelle. Yeah, so 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 the one of the first, and I forget which photographer this was early in the um, in the collection. Um, they've got this perfect shot. Now we look back, it's like a perfect shot, uh, a silhouette of a, a, a break dancing somewhere, and this particular photographer was like, you know, I didn't know that I had caught it. I was still trying to learn how to use the flash. <laughs> and, 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 and little did he realize that he had caught just this perfect silhouette and he said it sat on contact sheets for however long yeah. and then um, discovered it years later and realized he had, well, I know, you know, he didn't say it in these words, but I mean, he realized that he had a real social documentary find there because yeah. he had caught an important moment in music history. Um, so, what I'm getting at with this is, is, and what's interesting to me is, like, how does, at what point does it, is it no longer social documentary? And, and, and you, you mentioned staging earlier. So, how does that play into it? I know it's just one of the factors. There's, like even you know even a picture where you you say to the you know to the, the subject of the photograph like you know hey stop hold that pose when it's like I'm going to take your picture right you know or like there's like there are degrees of intervention that don't necessarily lack authenticity but um, you know like the photographer is still intervening I mean just the fact that a photographer is there like how like how I mean 
we, we, we talked about that. We talked about we talked about their, you know, everyone's got a everyone's got a camera in their pocket, and everyone's a photographer. But that's really different than someone who's like, I am making photographs, you know, with the intent of, you know, recording the scene, recording this moment, documenting this event, or you know, or just you know, yeah. even this interaction. Um, versus like I'm gonna bring in lights. You're gonna wear this costume. We're gonna do it here. We're gonna like we're gonna like we're gonna we're gonna do it up Amy Leibovitz style. Um, you know, like you know, you may you may get a sense of you know the, you know the the subject's personality of you know like who they are, what they do, or what their place in the world is. You know, from a, an elaborately staged Amy Leibovitz photograph. I mean, she made this like this incredible portrait of of Donald Trump and Melania in front of their private jet, like leaning on their car, and it's like. You get a lot of information out of that, but you know it's totally fabricated and it's playing into his ego. But that's still like there's like you get a sense of that. Yeah. Would I call that a documentary photograph? No, right. like yeah. that I would say like that's like that's editorial. Um, but there's you know even with, with the picture that you know, like is, is documentary, like there is a negotiation that goes on you know around around making the picture and it, 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 I think you know maybe one one element of it is like you know who who are you accountable who are you trying to to please who's your audience for these kinds of pictures what context are you showing and that was like the, the Trump portrait was probably something that was in Vanity Fair. Their conversation turns to curatorial challenges and what it takes to put a memorable exhibition together especially in the setting of an institution. That you can put on. Some of the best wall texts that I've seen are ask questions rather than. I mean, they say, "Look, this is this is a group of of, of works that it, we should talk about for these reasons." And that's it. And they let you kind of run with it from there. They give you some context enough, and you go with it. The ones that don't work for me are the ones where it's this is this is what it is. This is what it means, and here's why you need to think this way. And that's that's problematic for me as a as a visitor as a viewer. And we could we could talk for days about wall text and if you know, oh, yeah. if you if you had if you had someone from our interpretation team at the museum in here, you know we would we would probably have some kind of knockdown drag out debate about what a wall text well, should and shouldn't do. Um, so you write the wall text, but then there's another there's a multiple levels of yeah there 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 are several layers of, of editing that yeah. it goes through. So usually the, the way and and. Different curators at the museum work in different ways. Um, I like writing at least the first draft of most of the wall texts and the labels. Sometimes there's just so much going on that you can't do everything, and so then you know, someone writes one draft, and then we pass it back and forth, and it's a and it's a group effort. But I usually I like to I, I, I like to I like to write the first draft and then send it off to. We have a couple you know fantastic people on our education team. You know who who edit things more for for content, and you know they'll tell you like, well, you're not really hitting the right point, or that word is not going to be a word that people are going to really understand, or you're talking about this thing that actually has absolutely nothing to do with this work, and that's great that you know all of that, but no one cares <laughs> in this like in this particular yeah. context. Right. So you've got right. 90 words to get this across. <laughs> Cut that. Yeah, and then and else. then like you know and then there's you know there's a copy editor who looks at things, and you know it's it's a it's a long process of, of putting well, together your audience is so diverse. Yeah, you know. Oh, so yeah. I think that's phenomenal that you would, you know, that's you would have to have that versus it being, you know, a, a, a gallery, you know, in an art school, 
where it's professors and students and you know that's a different type of text than mm-hmm. a public institution uh, yeah yeah I mean, you, you have to you have to you have to talk to people who are you know like they're in town on vacation and they're sure. just like I heard the High Museum had some nice things to look at, or like, or uh, yeah. you know, you're in town, you, you you go to you go to the art museum, and then there's there's school groups who got dragged in because like their their teacher scheduled an appointment and they have to they have to go, and then you have people who are seasoned scholars and are you know have probably way more expertise than the curator does in that material, and so you don't yeah. want to <laughs> you don't want to say anything yeah. that's you know incorrect or you know inaccurate. Or that makes you look like an idiot. You don't know what you're doing, but at the same time, you know you don't necessarily want to talk down to, no. to people. Right. And yeah. so it's a it's, and, and also you often have a very very limited work count to do that in. So it's, or it's, <laughs> as we've you know it's been you know we've traveled a lot uh, to a lot of institutions, uh, and it's amazing. Sometimes the fatigue you might have, and you just can't. I've seen you fascinated by the work, and then suddenly it's like the equivalent of like a final exam in terms of the yeah. amount of text yeah. and and you're just like I can't deal with this right now yeah. is there a handout can I take it later yeah. I'll come back well ideally in an ideal world you would receive your tickets to your mobile device as well as a reading before I mean I know not everybody's going to go for this but but I mean if I, a lot of times I need the context before I stand there and feel pressure to move on to the first piece you know that, that first Kind of introductory thing. When I, when I go, I mean, when I go to another museum, and I, and I like, I love visiting museums. When I go on vacation, I go to museums because uh, you, you just yeah. you can't you can't shed it, and like it's you know I'm I'm really like excited about those kinds of things, but I I have museum fatigue. Like I, if yeah. I go to a museum in another city, if I spend an hour there, like. I feel like I like I like I'm really I'm really putting a good yeah. a good effort, um, but you know and I and I'm someone like who you would think like you know should appreciate you know all of the work that went into it, but it's but sometimes it's like it's all but it's all too when much. It's, when it, I think that is also that cruel thing. It always comes to mind when people say you're so lucky to be an artist. And you're like, I, yes, on, on one hand, but when it is your life and it's all you you know all I basically do, um, it's that's a lot of draining kind of work so sometimes like going to museums it's a show that I've like especially if I'm traveling to go see it um, but there is an exhaustion factor mm-hmm. the benefit like the best thing I gave myself like was it was a Charlene Von Heil show at the Hirschhorn and the benefit was being able to be within walking distance and be able to, and that was not a huge show either but still like between you know 20 something 30 paintings and of an artist you don't get to see too often in this country unless in reproduction uh, but to be able to go back see it take bite-sized pieces like but that you know is coming from a different perspective than just the average you know person going through do they want to be bombarded with there are sometimes when you're when you're going to a museum or a gallery you want to have an experience that is is challenging and where you're like you're you're really wrestling with the material and you're grappling with it and you're just like yes like you want to you want to get into it and then there are other times where you want to have kind of a like a, a you know a beautiful aesthetic experience and maybe you're just you don't want to like you don't want to be like weighted down with all of these these other things and that may be selling a lot of art short by kind of positioning it as like entertainment or some kind of escape but you don't know, you I, think almost a lot of art though can can be deadly serious and can still be yes 
Oh yeah, for sure. I don't think there's anything wrong with you know with having a purely aesthetic experience with art. It doesn't always have to mm. be this deep intellectual work don't say that all the time. We're at Cambridge with that. I'm t- I'm t- I'm ten years removed from grad school, so I feel I no, feel like I feel to- I feel totally. Do you think that's shifting, or do you think that's? I mean, not- I just I don't think there's anything wrong with taking pleasure in art, and and like and this and this is a, this is like. Coming but why from, do you think that is like such a? Strong, we need it now more than ever. Right, we but, really do. But don't you think? What that the that's world needs a- now is love. Well, love <laughs> and cheaper records. <laughs> that's a number three. That's a strong uh, number three. No, but you know, again, that's like, why do you think that is hit so hard in in academia, only to kind of fall away for people that continue to have. And again, it doesn't lessen the quality. But I, why does this stuff have to be? Because so much of it gets ginned up to the point of it's so phony and false, or trying to hit the current trend. Yeah. And it's like, what beauty is a is worthy of your time you know and it can still be very very serious and to your point of like Bertinsky like I see a lot of beauty in that even when it's like a rusting ship that's leaching god knows what kind of chemicals it's not it's not necessarily an either or right you know beauty is sometimes a you know an entry point for you know for thinking about more challenging things and that can be really productive um but there's also there's I don't do you think it gets? But I'm saying though, like it's like even uh, throughout like Monet. Like, why is a lot of that art impressionist, for instance? Why does that get like just kind of? There's this disdain, like it's Middle America, easy entry points, too easy. So it's, per- it's perceived as indulgent and easy, um, and all jet, jet, hootie and a blowfish. Yeah, yeah. but indulgent, but I mean, like easy. on some levels, like I I don't like, want to say the art is like a guilty pleasure, but it just it's. Still, it's subjective, and some days, you know, like you might a Monet might hit you, or a, a Rothko, or a Crutzen, or a piece what, of sculpture, and, or it's NASCAR. Or I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, no, no one, no one get, no one got into art, and no one said like, I love art because I wanted to go to a like I wanted to go to a museum, and I wanted to think really hard about like you know like this artist's struggle or whatever it was like people fall in love with art because they have you know like a, a deeply emotional experience you know in the present of that artwork it, it makes them think about the world a different way it makes like it kind of changes their perspective you know it affects them even if it's something that they can't articulate right you know it's like there's something that happens i'm getting real gushy touchy no i like about, it about it's all, good about this all of this that. I feel like like now I've like staked a position and I have to defend it. But this is like but I'm I'm like I'm also someone, you know, like I love, you know, hard edge documentary and photo and photojournalism that that really does challenge me mm-hmm. that you know makes me think very, very deeply about my position in the world or you know, what role I have in these larger societal trends, you know, like that kind of implicates me in Various issues, or like, is like I I love that kind of work at the same time. Like, I'm not so I don't. It's not that I don't want to think deeply. I think like you just you don't necessarily have to always be in that. Well, there's only so territory. much bandwidth, like you said. Like, yeah. are, are you walking into uh, offline? We were chatting about um, a Jenny Holzer show, yeah, uh, at MCA in Chicago, and like again, that ostensibly was my wife and I on on an art, you know, kind of related vacation. But so there's pleasure, and yet 
it, that's serious, yeah. hard hitting, and that's yeah. all we talked about for days. Um, still was enjoyable, but there's times, you know, a time and a place. Sometimes you, there's, you just, you're done yeah. uh, with some of the offerings. You, what was the word you used? Not indictment. It was Implicate. implication. I'm okay with implication, but the problem with these oh, multi-indicted. No, my, my problem with these taxes is it's indictment. A lot of these times, you walk into these museums, you pay your money, you get in there, and it's indictment immediate, immediately. I, I had I had a, I had an experience recently. I was I was invited to to jury an exhibition for this organization in Chicago called Filter, and they they run they run a festival that happens every September, but they also have a gallery space, um, and they they put on they put on fantastic shows, and they do an open call. They come up with a theme, and they have a guest juror pick the work and so I was invited to do it to do it this year and I you know like I, I, I took it seriously like I spent a lot of time looking at the work there were something like 150 submissions going to wave through like all wow. of these these photographs and each photographer submits five to ten pictures like it's a, it's a lot of pictures that you're that you're looking at trying to figure out like how does this work make sense in this theme but it was it was one of the most enjoyable curatorial experiences I've ever had because a lot of that pressure that I feel, you know, in the in my job and my like my day to day work of kind of justifying and accounting for everything, like there was this sense like you know, just throw it all off. Like, what do you like? What are you interested? In? What excites you? What just kind of makes you have a visceral reaction to the work? And then that's kind of like that was the starting point. It's like, what are the pictures that really hit me? And then going back and kind of refining that a little more. What are the like? How do these pictures connect to one another? What really unites around around this this theme? And it like it was it was kind of like kind of getting back to like my initial like, you know forays into into curatorial. It was like yeah. why like why I like it was like I was just like looking at the pictures. I wasn't thinking about the politics. I wasn't thinking about the various mm-hmm. moves that I had to make to kind of get it on the schedule and get it funded it was like it was purely about you know the the joy of you know engaging with with photographs and it, like it, it was like it was great it was like you know just kind of you know just like I said like going back to this like this like this early moment that was like very joyful in you know in looking at pictures at the opening of the show you know I was Either there was you know they had a great crowd they had a food truck I was eating you know tater tots and a chicken sandwich or something like that sitting on the sidewalk with some friends and you know someone who I you know an, an acquaintance walked by and she like really wanted to talk about the show she was like getting deep into like like how are you thinking about it? and I was like look like <laughs> I was I was really tired at that point I really and I just wanted to eat my tater tots I was like you know, look it's like it's not like I didn't think about it but really like I like I just picked I just chose the pictures I liked and I chose the pictures that affected me and that's how I put together yeah. the show and she like wanted so much more I was like sorry to disappoint you <laughs> like sometimes it's just about you know the joy of looking at photographs and and I don't, and I and, and that's not that's not everything I do, mm-hmm. but like there I feel like there need, there, need, there needs to there that, need to be moments mm-hmm. for that. And if you like if you lose if you lose that initial spark, then it's like yeah. you know like what are you doing? You're just like yeah. you know you're you're you know like you're slogging through these like overwrought maltex and make, making people feel like shit for going to a museum, <laughs> which is like the last thing you want to happen when someone's Absolutely. at a museum. Yeah. They again turn to the effects of technology and social media 
on the creation and consumption of art. Joe asks if one of the byproducts of an increasingly distracted culture is a rise in the popularity of photo books. To, to answer your question, like, has there been a resurgence of photo books? Like, um, absolutely, and, it, and it's been it's been going on for the last ten, fifteen years. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, like, as you know, when when the you know when the internet really ramped up, when uh, digital photography really started to become viable, um, there was you know like that was on the one hand, a way of amplifying everything that was going on in photography, whether that was, you know, digital analog, like, you know, there was, you know, like, like so much of the world, like suddenly, like you can connect to this, you know, vast global community. But also at the same time, there was this response where people like, I just, like, I crave something physical. The experience of looking at a book, you know, is kind of nominally like looking at a website, like there, like you're looking at pictures they're presumably sequenced, it's but there's kind a of intention. End. Yeah, there is a start. I think it's you're absolutely relieves right. the anxiety. Like, assuming I'm assuming, you, assuming yeah. you start at the front and you and you page mm-hmm. and you page you page through. Oh. Um, I, I you know I what what's what I what one of like what I love about photo books is that it's like you the, the, the artist really has to sit there with their work and think through it and make a lot of decisions about. About what they're doing, like there's sure there's maybe a little bit of randomness, there's some chance that goes into it, but like you have to you have to decide like what are the pictures that are going in, what order are they going in, how big is the book going to be, how big are the images going to be on the page, what kind of paper is it going to be printed on, is it going to be hardcover, softcover, you know what you know are you going to put an image on the cover, is it just going to be text, is it you know going to be some kind of you know random design there's like there there are like an endless number of decisions that go into that end result that's you know sitting in your hands in your lap when you're when you're flipping through it and so you you know that the artist isn't just like kind of you know just kind of throwing something out there for you like it's, it's it's so rare that a photographer makes one picture and that's like the work Photographers work in series, and so like a like a photo book is an ideal vehicle for looking at at pictures and looking at a lot of pictures. And you know, there there are so many things that you can do with a photo book in terms of the the sequence, the pacing. You can create the sense of rhythm and cadence in terms of how you lay them out on the page, what you leave blank. You know, do you put them on the right side, the left side? Like there's like like the, the all of the choices are just there. Like there's so much richness that comes out of that, uh-huh. um, and like you said, like it's a, it's a physical experience. Like you, you know, you sit on a couch, you sit at a desk. Some of the things are the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know you like you you have like you have this really visceral experience with the work, um, and it's you know, it's different than walking through an exhibition because there is presumably a prescribed sequence that you can choose to adhere to or not. Right. Um, but, you know, there's another kind of a degree of flexibility in terms of how you engage with that, with that object. Yeah. So. Skylar Conditions, tell us a little bit more about that and if we were, <laughs> like, well, I know, I mean, you've got the hot, but obviously that's Yeah, a, so, so, so Skylark is, is something that I'm nominally involved with these days, but started about three years ago with two photographer friends in Chicago, Paul D'Amato and Kelly Connell. It was really Paul and Kelly who got it going. Um, um, Kelly would host this monthly event called Photo Books and Beer, 
it was like, you know, photo nerd book group. Maybe we knew, like, you would bring some photo books, we'd sit in a circle with some beer. Sounds awesome. And we'd, you know, we'd, we'd get drunk and we'd talk about, we'd talk about photo books. And you could tell the people who were, like, serious, serious, well, that's, well, yeah, that's the serious photo nerds were like, go get your beer anywhere, get my limited edition Alex Soth book. (laughs) (laughs) There's like, there's like, after a while, it was like, there was the beer area and there was the book area. Yeah. So, out out of, out of that, we, um, there, I think there was this like kind of clear affinity between you know, me and Paul and Kelly and our um, kind of shameless geekiness about about photo books. Um, and one night, Paul and Kelly like, were having beers at a bar in Chicago called the Skylark, and they're like, "We should start a press." I mean, it's, it's like the, like this kind of old story where people are like, "We're going to start a record label." Yeah, <laughs> it's like the same yeah. the same thing except with photo books. And they, both Paul and Kelly are professors at Columbia College, which is you know, where, I, where I did my undergrad. And it's, it's, an, it's an amazing art school, and they're just kind of messing around with different ways of, like, how do we create artists who are functional professionals, professionals in the world? They cooked up this program where if a professor wanted to start a business... This, the college would give them a little bit of seed money to get it off the ground as long as they taught a class around starting the business. So Paul and Kelly put together a class around photo book publishing, and that's how we did our first book. And I was kind of you know, was involved on it. I was, I was between jobs, call it my sabbatical. Your, your gap year. <laughs> my gap year. <laughs> my gap couple months. And so we, we started a, a photo book press. And we, there was, you know, like so many things in photography there's there's a glut of photo books out there because it's now so easy to lay out a book and print you know mm-hmm. and print a book like you know it's virtually as easy as you know putting your pictures up on Instagram as to you know to make a photo book and you know on some level but we were noticing that there was all of this incredible work that was being made by photographers who, you know, who were more at the emerging level. They didn't have gallery representation. They'd never had a museum show. or you know, um, But they were, doing, they were doing really thoughtful work, and we had a vehicle to shine a little light on what they were doing and elevate, elevate their work. And we thought that they were doing brilliant things, and we wanted to make, a, we wanted to make books that um, were not being done by... Anyways, we're going to fill a little bit of the gap. So that's kind of where, where Skylark happened. I moved to Atlanta not long after our first book yeah. came out. I actually think I'd moved to Atlanta while they were putting the covers on the okay, first thanks. book. We need help collating. <laughs> yeah, I'm nope. back and I got to move. So, uh, so I... We, we tried to keep it going, you know, like over, we would have like a weekly phone call, but after I just got a little too hard. So Paul, Paul and Kelly are still, still rolling with it. Um, and I'm just kind of like an, an honorary observer. Is that the title? I think they, they, I think they call me, they very generously call me editor at large. Oh, I like that. It's very New Yorker. Yes. Yeah. Skylarkeditions.org. There we go. One could buy books there. One could buy books there. Okay. I receive no financial remuneration from it. Yeah. One could also visit the High when they're in Atlanta. And your office is on the no. <laughs> This comma is in the wrong... Yeah, mix over some wall text. Yeah. Uh, you know there's somebody out there. No, I have place modifier right there. We, get, we, yeah, we get edits from visitors all the time. Do you really? Yeah. Where do, where do you submit these? 
I think they usually complain at the front desk. Or at the front desk, desk which is where it's going to be taken very seriously. That's the worst gig, too, right there. I they're mean, just like, you do the front line. It really is the front line. They're doing God's work. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gregory Harris, thanks so much. I tell you, I couldn't have had a... I, this was what, a great time. What a great Wednesday afternoon. How often do you have this kind of engagement, dialogue, dialogue, platform, engagement, a platform He's for dialogue? Throwing out, throwing out all my buzzwords now, that right, throwing right back at me. <laughs> I'm telling you again, if you're in the Atlanta area, you should stop by Second Self. You, Logan Circle, if you were to drive by, this time of year it's beautiful. But. <laughs> It's beautiful year-round here off at Chattahoochee. You would not know that this tap room was here. When I I lived in Chicago, I lived in a neighborhood called Logan Square. Oh, yeah. So this is like... I spent some formative years in Chicago, so it is... Geometric uh, dislocation going on. I love Chicago. Geometric dislocation? That's the time. There is a steely (laughs) day. There came out and Alan Parsons and or Todd Rundgren got in a fistfight over wanting to produce it. Geometric dislocation. Him in those overalls with the no shirt. Oh, I can't do it. All right, we got it. We got to call our list now. Thank you so much, Gregory. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Trust us. You do not want to miss upcoming episodes, including a special announcement in episode 50. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform today. And if you have an opportunity to leave a five-star review, please do.